Welcome to episode 159 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi friends. As you know, everyone is facing challenges right now with the recent virus pandemic. From stress, financial, sickness, and quarantines, there's not a lot of people who haven't been touched by it. One of the highest risk factors is a weakened immune system, and a lot of what affects that weakened immune system is determined by your gut health. Gut issues aren't just about bloating or indigestion. They can be the difference between whether you get sick or stay well. Unfortunately, your gut is under assault like never before in human history. And we're so grateful that our friends at Bioptimizers are stepping up to help people during these times. They're actually giving away a free bottle of their patented proteolytic probiotic P3OM until the end of this month. As you guys know, we are massive fans of P3OM. We've talked about it multiple times on this show, and our listeners have been big fans as well. And there's a good reason for that. It's because P3OM actually helps eliminate bad bacteria and pathogens and rapidly boosts your gut health, and therefore also boosts your immunity. But P3OM also does something no other probiotic can claim. It has a patent filing that explicitly talks about its research around antiviral capabilities. This makes P3OM a perfect probiotic to help support your immunity and the immunity of those that you love during this difficult crisis. This is such a generous offer. We are so grateful for it. To get it, just go to p3om.com forward slash IF podcast free. That's p3om.com forward slash IFPODCASTFREE, all one word. You will automatically get access to your unique coupon code to claim your free bottle. This offer is limited to one per household and it's only available at that link p3om.com slash ifpodcast free. All right, now enjoy the show. Hi, friends. Welcome back to the show. So we have a super special episode today of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Very, very excited. I am here with Jen Stevens as per usual. Hi, everybody. (laughs) Actually, I feel like I'm going into host mode like my other show. I just realized I introduced this different than I normally do. But in any case, Jen and I are here 
like normal, but we also have a guest who has been on the show before and she was very, very popular with our listeners. We are honored to be here with Dr. Anna Kabeka. She is an Emory University trained gynecologist and women's health expert. And we had her on the podcast before for her fantastic book, The Hormone Fix. And one reason her work really resonates with us and our listeners is that ladies, she gets hormones, she gets women's health, but she's also a big fan of dietary approaches of fasting, of ketogenic diets. So it's really wonderful content. And she's just such an expert for a lot of the questions that we get on this show. And she recently released a new book. It is Keto Green 16, The Fat-Burning Power of Ketogenic Eating Plus the Nourishing Strength of Alkaline Foods Equals Rapid Weight Loss and Hormone Balance. So Anna, Dr. Kabeka, thank you so much for being here. It is great to be with you two again. Thanks for having me. Well, we are so glad to have you back. I know I'm really, really excited. I know I was saying this before the call, but we just, I mean, Jen and I get, well, we get so many listener questions all the time, but we get a ton, ton, ton of questions about females, women's hormones, hormonal issues, especially in regards to fasting. And Jen and I are not hormonal experts in any way. So like having you on the podcast today as an expert and a resource, we are very, very excited about this conversation. So we thought to start things off, you told your story on the last episode that you were on this podcast. So we will put a link to that in the show notes for listeners. The show notes, by the way, will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 159. But Dr. Kabeka, would you like to start things off by telling listeners a little bit about your personal health journey and what led you to where you are today? Because it's, it's really, truly a beautiful story. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I was definitely always loved medicine, but at age and an advocate for women's health. So trained in gynecology and obstetrics, came to practice in Southeast Georgia. And then, you know, in in our own personal life, we suffered a, a significant tragedy and loss. And from that moment, that trauma, that devastation, that grief put me into early menopause. And I was shortly there diagnosed as permanently irreversibly infertile and had failed the highest doses of hormone, you know, injectable hormone therapies. And, you know, facing loss after loss after loss. Anyone who's been through infertility treatment or struggled in getting pregnant, you know that feeling again and again. So it was trauma on trauma for me and my family. And that took me on a journey around the world, just looking for answers because my doctor's bag was empty. And as a result of learning some of the world's most amazing and traditional healing modalities and integrating that into my Western medical training, I not only reversed early menopause, but at age 41, naturally conceived, I call her my miracle baby, Ava Marie. And so that just transitioned my frame of thinking and my medical practice to one of, you know, as physicians, we think, okay, well, here's your diagnosis, infertility, menopause, diabetes, blood pressure, cancer. We don't say, well, you know, the traditional thoughts, not, okay, well, this is what's manifesting, but let's work on the root causes of this manifestation so you can completely be, you know, eliminated from this diagnosis. And so that's shifted my thinking into integrating bioidentical hormones, natural remedies, lifestyle 
medicine into my own medical practice. And from there, you know, really help so many clients avoid surgeries and, and expensive surgeries and prescription meds. And then from there, I usually share my deep dive into my keto green lifestyle, which I know we're going to hit on. But that concept of in the perimenopause menopause how we can start gaining weight rapidly get brain fog and when that happened to me a second time at age 48 that was you know the keto green lifestyle pulled me out of this to be able to be here with you ladies (laughs) which has been a pleasure i really love hearing that just because i'm 50 and i am i guess still in perimenopause (laughs) i haven't crossed the one year line yet you know to say that it's officially menopause is that how you you define it with your patients one year i know and it's a terrible defining point really it's like that's so this like menopause is one day 12 months after your official last period but then what happens when you have another period in another month (laughs) they start the clock over yeah it's terrible I've gotten to as many as like 180 something days and then had to start the clock over. So, but I'm going through it now. And I just want to say thanks to intermittent fasting, I'm really sailing through it. No weight gain, which is kind of amazing. So, that is awesome. And that is exactly why intermittent fasting is necessary for all of us, especially in perimenopause and beyond. Yeah. To that point, we get so many questions about the effects of fasting on menopause and on the different hormonal changes that women experience. So I I do have specific questions from listeners. But before that, I was wondering, Dr. Kabeca, you know, we as women experience these different stages of life. So those actual stages, obviously, they're, quote, normal. Obviously, they should be, quote, healthy. But women seem to so often struggle with difficulties when going through them, you know, hot flashes, weight gain, anxiety, mood swings, So is that inevitable? You spoke about the root cause behind these issues. What do you think is the root cause behind women experiencing these, you know, travesties or issues while going through hormonal changes? And what can we do to address that? Yeah, and and why some women do and some women don't, right? But the rarity, the rarity is is to sail through this transition time period, but it is definitely possible. And I think that's, you know, being able to look also at you know, this time of life, menopause, it's not a disease, doesn't need a ICD-9 code or ICD-10 code that are that we're placing on it. It really is a transition in life. And I love what the Japanese refer to as menopause. They refer to it as konenki. I don't know if I said that correctly, konenki, but that means a second spring, right? How beautiful that is. I love that terminology. That's why I'm like, we need to come up with a word and make it stick, y'all. Let's, let's bring storm on this. A second spring. That's really how it feels. It feels like, yep, I totally get it because it feels like a new time, but not something to be sad about or scary. It feels like a new beginning. So I get that. Beautiful phrase. Mm-hmm. I agree. And so that concept, just to think of it as this transition, just like we don't think of puberty as a disease, although having had four daughters... <laughs> <laughs> It's just as bad with boys. Can I just tell you? <laughs> so funny. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And then God's timing of, of puberty and perimenopause at the same time sometimes, right? But I think we've got that nailed down at this point. You know, definitely when I see girls struggling with puberty, it, pubertal issues, it's like, okay, well, let's balance the, you know, really natural lifestyle factors just 
balance them out so beautifully, so quickly, and it's no different with us in the perimenopause and menopause. It's just understanding what is affecting us and what that root issue is. And Melanie, to your question, it's there is this normal transition in hormones, just like we wouldn't stop puberty from happening, and we shouldn't, not with birth control pills or anything else. We won't stop that natural cycle and flow because that transition is a rewiring that's really important for our neurotransmitters, for our brain, for our HPA, our hormonal access, hormonal communication system. The same, I believe, is absolutely true in this menopausal transition. We can't suppress it completely. Again, with birth control, so many patients of mine had come in on birth controls, pills, because they were having symptomatic perimenopause and they didn't need it because either they had their tubes tied, their husband had a vasectomy or whatever the situation may be. But that was a treatment and that can be really damaging for hormonal balance. And, And we know more and more about that now. But this rewiring is important too, but there's a way to boost our hormones naturally, decrease the inflammatory symptoms and the neuroendocrine symptoms that people experience and actually eliminate them by simple lifestyle hacks. And I always say, you guys have heard me say this on your show before, it takes more than hormones to fix our hormones. Yeah. That's huge. It sounds very simple when you say it, but explain what you what you mean by that. It takes more than hormones to fix our hormones. Yes, yeah. Often people are are at the doctors and with these symptoms and just requesting or getting estrogen testosterone pellets, maybe birth control pills or either bioidentical progestin or or bioidentical progesterone or progestins and or thyroid meds, right? Because I would say if it took more than hormones to fix our hormones, everyone on thyroid meds would be thin. That's not the answer. That's not the answer. Now we can support, that's one of the support mechanisms for sure, but it's not the answer. And so we need to look at really what does fix our hormone, what does create this flow and transition in a healthy way. And it's empowering our body to heal itself. And so in my book, first book, The Hormone Fix, and and my second book now coming out, Keto Green 16, really big on, on managing through lifestyle and nutrition our major hormones. And Melanie and Jen, I really wish I could say this was all about estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, and even DHEA. But the truth is, those are minor in comparison to cortisol, our stress hormone, that when we are stressed, we are depleting our body's other hormones, including progesterone, DHEA, and even estrogen and testosterone. And the second hormone, so first is cortisol, the second one is insulin. Our insulin levels naturally increase as we get older, as we become more and more insulin resistant, which increases our risk for diabetes, high blood pressure, and dementia. Alzheimer's is considered type 3 diabetes for this reason. And so as we get keto green, as we do with intermittent fasting, we increase our insulin sensitivity and that makes a huge difference in our body. And the third most powerful hormone that is rarely supplemented with and rarely needs to be is oxytocin. This is our master hormone in our body. I call it our master hormone. And that is because it is the hormone of a life worth living. 
And with that, oxytocin is that hormone of love and bonding and connection and healthy community and laughter and fun and all those things that matter to us, the healthy relationships, the bonding sensations that we get. It is the most powerful hormone. So as our sex steroids, progesterone, estrogen, testosterone, and DHEA are declining as we age, we are increasing cortisol and insulin. So managing them through nutrition and lifestyle is really important because they are conductors to the rest of our reproductive hormones. I love that so much. Hi, friends. One of the primary things that Dr. Kabeca talks about in this episode as one of the root causes of hormonal imbalances is our exposure to endocrine disruptors through our skincare and makeup. Did you know that the UK has actually banned over 3,000 compounds common in conventional skincare in the US because they've been identified as being carcinogens, endocrine disruptors, meaning they mess with your hormones, as well as other toxic agents? The US, on the other hand, has banned less than 10. Did you know that companies can put whatever they want into our skincare and makeup and they don't have to tell you what it is? They can just call it fragrance. Our skin is actually our body's largest organ and putting toxic compounds on it daily through your skincare and makeup can have massive profound effects on your health and not in a good way. Even many quote natural products can actually be more problematic because they're often made with natural ingredients high in heavy metals. There's just essentially no regulation. That's why Jen and I are obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. They've actually made it their mission to solve this problem. Beauty Counter makes skincare and makeup that is extensively tested to be safe for your skin. You can feel good about every single ingredient in their products. So if you struggle with hormonal imbalances or just want to reduce your daily toxic exposure, we cannot recommend enough that you try out Beauty Counter. You can shop with us at melanieavalon.com slash beauty counter. You'll know you're in the right place when you see Jen's face in the top left corner. And if you shop with us at that link, something really special and magical might happen after you place your first beauty counter order. You can also get on my clean beauty email list for more on the science of skincare, exclusive giveaways, I do a lot of those, free samples, and so much more. To get on that email list, just go to melanieavalon.com slash clean beauty. So is your fast, clean inside and out? Well, now it can be. All right, now back to the show. So I was wondering, do you think that hormonal imbalances and issues that we experience today, are they completely a result of our modern world and our lifestyles, you know, endocrine disruptors, the foods we're eating, our chronic stress? Like, do you think that ancestral humans or paleolithic man or women experienced hormonal issues? Or do you think it, it's, you know, from all of these factors that we have today? I think like what Jen said, like as she's sailing through this menopausal transition, you know, I really have to wonder how much, if any, they did suffer. We know there was a, a significant, you know, healthy elder population. And we also know they were considered in many traditional societies, our, our elder women, our elders in general, were the wisest of the tribe, right? So they had a clear brain. They weren't in a nursing home with dementia, right? So they were doing something different than our standard American. Well, we're not going to go off on that. We can go off on that tangent if you want me to. But, <laughs> but we were doing something to enable health and traditionally empower our divine physician within us to heal our bodies, right? Give it the right 
you know, the right medicine, so to speak, in food and lifestyle that can make the biggest difference. But also we know there are other cultures, traditional societies around the world that don't have symptomatic significant issues with menopause. As I traveled around the world in my journey, I was always asking and looking, you know, how do people deal with fertility, you know, pregnancy loss, grief? How did they deal with hormone changes and menopause? And even for many people, it was certain cultures was very, you know, it's definitely very different. Like I was thinking of my client from Spain who's in her 50s and she goes, you know, right here, they, they don't complain about symptoms or menopause. And it's very unusual to hear to hear someone who is having a hard time. And so, but it is that there now, especially with stress, it is a universal issue because one of the most important hormones in our body, progesterone, which is our mother hormone, progestation, pro-life hormone, that's a hormone of pregnancy, is depleted by cortisol production. It really is. It's kind of like cortisol is the robber. So it takes what it needs and does what it has to do, you know? And so, which is great for short stints of time, but the chronic stress, the chronic cortisol production is something that really affects our hormones. So then we can become more symptomatic. So what I've seen, and just recently in my clients, a resurgence in you know, initial resurgence in hot flashes and weight gain in addictive behaviors or comfort behaviors and more symptoms of anxiety, depression, isolation, anger, relationship issues. And so it's like right away, let's get back on, you know, the nutrition, nourishing and lifestyle, the nourishing practices that we know works and helps us. And in fact, it was this way for me too, to be honest, Jen and Melanie, when this epidemic, pandemic started, I had a daughter in Nijmegen, Holland, outside of Amsterdam, who was studying for her third year of college. And her friend in Italy was in quarantine and her professor, they were getting ready to shut down the university. And I was at that place, you know, oh my God, you know, what if something happens to her? I've lost one child. What if, right? And all this trauma started coming back up that I'd put to bed, you know, like I've done my work, y'all and have known that, you know, I write about that, I've done my work. And yet there were some days there that I was up again, couldn't sleep, really worrying, got to get my daughter back, got to get my daughter back, I can't get to her, you know, and all that fear started coming up and the comfort behaviors, you know, comfort food, comfort wine, all that good stuff. And I quickly recognize because I know that energy, that negative energy is a vacuum willing to suck me into a black hole, right? So pulling myself up essentially from my bootstraps just but one step at a time, controlling my thoughts, controlling, you know, what I can control, what do I know to be real and true right now? And so I think now more than ever, it's so important to understand how you know, stress is affecting our physiology, our lifestyle choices, and yet how much power we have over that, how we can create within us the peace that surpasses all understanding. You're exactly right about the stress because, you know, I've got some very large Facebook support groups and every day people are posting about how they're struggling with the feelings of stress. They know that they, they're they at home, they're with their families, but it's just such an uncertain time. And, you know, people are having more trouble fasting. They're having trouble with their food choices. They may be gaining weight all of a sudden. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned the effects of stress and cortisol because it's a natural process. So people should not beat themselves up when they're feeling this way because it's just our body responding to 
a very difficult time for the world. Yeah, something I've seen as well to that point in the groups and from our listeners and questions is that I think when this pandemic first started, a lot of people who had previously been doing intermittent fasting, for example, you know, experienced this new rush of stress and I've seen this with a lot of people that it's like they temporarily were like, oh, I'm going to, you know, stop fasting because they thought that they wanted comfort and food. But then fast forward and what I'm seeing from a lot of people is realizing that going back to your old eating ways, if they were less than nourishing for your body, doesn't actually make you feel good and doesn't actually make the stress go away. Like that's not the solution. So I've, I've seen this pattern of like coming back to the healthy eating and kind of actually becoming more appreciative of it and coming back to intermittent fasting and realizing how we can actually grow. It's incredible. I just interviewed David Sinclair on my other podcast and one of the most beautiful things he said was that using this time during this pandemic is the time to grow stronger. Like it's the time to work on stress mitigation techniques, do exercise at home, work on healthy dietary habits, and then coming out of this pandemic stronger than we were going into it, which I thought was absolutely beautiful. So speaking to that, in your book, you talk about how you did, for example, a ketogenic diet for a while And there was something missing with that. Just something seemed a little bit off and you realized what it was. So would you like to tell listeners a little bit about your approach to the ketogenic diet and even ketosis, like one of the key factors there, at least as far as our dietary choices go? Yes, definitely. I I do want to also just emphasize what you said about people thinking that intermittent fasting is going to be more taxing on their body. It's actually helping with resilience and insulin sensitivity, which is what we want. And we all need to be doing that right now. And I always say we all need to get keto green. A big component of that is intermittent fasting. So we get into ketosis. Before you get into the keto green, can I ask, did your daughter get back safely? Yes. Oh, thank you. Yes. Yeah. I've been worried about that, you know, ever since you mentioned it. Okay, sorry. Thank you for circling back there. Yes, yeah, brought her home safe and sound. And yep, now we're a house of of seven females, five women and two female dogs. And so youngest from 12 to 31 and me at 53. So it is, it is something right now. (laughs) It's honestly, it's a mother's dream. And so it is this time now to create resilience, to create a stronger body than ever, mind, body, and spirit, and also to discover and discern what's working for us and what's working against us. So part of my discovery that I'm going to share with you and what I want everyone to do is the same thing. When I was going keto, I was going keto crazy, not keto flu, it was keto crazy. I was irritable. I was a single mom, two teenage daughters, and, you know, a child in elementary school. And, you know, it was just an not, you cannot afford to lose your cool, be irritable. I didn't like who I was, not to mention all of a sudden I just started gaining weight back without doing anything different, right? And so at that time period when I was in that menopause, a second menopause, and to Jen, I'm with you, I think I'm finally in my third, one more month and I'll tell you if I'm finally through menopause, this 12, 12 month mark. But so when I was feeling that keto crazy, I was like, well, I can't afford this irritability and managing my kids, but why am I feeling this way? What's going on with my neurotransmitter? What's going on with my hormones? I mean, I was on some bioidentical hormones and I had them dialed in but there's something else. So what was that missing piece? And I did what, you know, any good functional medicine doctor will tell you to do is check your urine pH. And my urine pH was as acidic as the urine pH paper would read. So I have no idea even how, how, what my 
true urine pH number was, but it was definitely less than five. And we really know that it needs to be around seven, 7.5, you know, in the healthy, slightly alkaline range and the higher alkalinity to your urine pH, the less risk of chronic disease that you have. And that includes cancer, that includes diabetes, that includes dementia, that includes osteoporosis and all the things that we certainly, especially as women, but as humans want to avoid. And that made a difference. What we just add into that, it includes the more alkaline your urine pH is, you know, 7.5, 7, I like it around 7, 7.5. That's a really good range, but the less crazy you are too, at least it was true for me. <laughs> so getting alkaline, getting that urine pH alkaline, that was so key. And I did it through getting more of the low carbohydrate, dark leafy green vegetables and the cruciferous vegetables because I needed to choose foods that were going to be low carbohydrate and be strong enough to balance my hormones with good diversity and micronutrient rich. And so that was really important, that detox component. And as I did that, I started to get more alkaline. I started to feel better. But the aha, another aha moment. So the first one was checking urine pH and being acidic and understanding bad for body, no wonder. The second big aha moment was those mornings. Part of my practice is just getting up, going out for a walk, doing my gratitude journaling. The mornings I did that, I was more alkaline all day. And that was another aha because cortisol, and this is what everyone needs to be doing right now, check your urine pH because cortisol increases urine acidity by increasing hydrogen ion secretion across the renal tubules, hence making a more acidic urine pH. So everyone, like if you're under stress and in your intermittent fasting groups, I mean, check urine pH, get it alkaline, doing more of the dark leafy greens with the fibers, not so much juicing because we don't want the sugar. But the dark leafy greens and supplementing. And so that's where I just really worked on my, you know, dark greens, you know, my Mighty Maca Plus, my, you know, cooking good low carb variety of greens, plus the, you know, healthy ketogenic food choices, because we can be keto dirty or we can be keto clean, which is keto green. <laughs> well, that was fascinating to hear the whole idea that cortisol increases your acidity. I didn't know that. And because I really think a lot of people are, going around with that excess cortisol right now and not understanding why they're gaining weight and and really, you know, it's stress on top of stress. And depleting progesterone causing PMS, anxiety, depression, you know, those sensations of like hating your husband, <laughs> relationship <laughs> oh, <yeah>. issues. <laughs> right. And you're in quarantine together. And I've already had clients. I'm having menstrual irregularities. I'm having breakthrough bleeding. I'm like, you're, you know, stress is getting to you. Let's focus on this. And hence, Keto Green 16 is perfect timing to quickly kick butt into a healthier physiology, more balanced hormonal state as soon as possible. But that realization is huge. You mentioned the difference between, you know, did you call it dirty keto versus clean keto? Could you explain? Because I saw that in your book and I thought that was a pretty big, <laughs> a pretty big point. So, yeah, that's true. I, I think it just gives a visual because when I mean, people think keto, I may have tried keto. They just maybe went bacon, butter, Velveeta, hot dogs. You know, I mean, you can do on the road keto and in very unhealthy ways and, and keto in general. And remember, we are always what we eat, ate and how they were treated and how they lived and how they died. So it is, that's an important thing. I mean, if you think of a stressed out animal eating, you know, chemicals and being injected with stuff and 
you know, in unhealthy surroundings and we ingest that, I mean, that's not a great way. So we really have to dig deep into that and be conscientious consumers moving forward now more than ever. So when I refer to keto dirty that way, that's it's pretty much what I'm feeling. And two, also very acidic, that we're not alkaline in either our nourishment, the food, the food choices, as well as our activities and our thoughts and our sleep and our you know, all the other things that increase our alkalinity, our loving, right? All of these things increase our alkalinity. So that's where the keto green really comes in different. It's not just about what we eat, it is how we live too. And with that, the you know, dark green leafies, the alkalinizers, what a keto green plate looks like. And the beautiful part is in this book, Keto Green 16, our publisher, Penguin Random House, Ballantine Penguin Random House, incorporated over 25 color images of recipes. So you get that real visual, which is so beautiful. Yeah, I love that so much. And one thing I did want to clarify for listeners and or address, because I think I've had conversations with you, but this is probably our fourth interview together, but I always want to draw attention to it briefly. And that's the fact that I think a lot of people think their immediate response to the idea of alkalinizing their diet is that eating alkaline foods doesn't change the alkaline potential of your body. I was wondering if you could you know, briefly address that. I will say listeners, <laughs> there's definitely a mechanism of action there. So I'd love uh, your thoughts on that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And often, you know, I've heard and I've listened to lectures where someone would argue the alkaline myth are are, are body pH hasn't changed. Well, first of all, that's not true. Our body pH is really critically managed to maintain a slightly alkaline pH. And if someone was coming in sick to my ER, what we would do is put a needle in the radial artery and draw out arterial blood gas. That arterial blood gas, as you know, as close to what's released from the heart after oxygenation as possible, needs to be slightly alkaline, approximately 7.4. And so slightly alkaline. And our body will raw pH to pay Paul in order to keep it there. And when we are in a metabolic acidosis, it that means just even slightly lower than 7.4, then we are terribly sick. And when you come into my ER and I see that, I'm giving you bicarb. I'm not letting you be there. I'm giving you IV bicarb in order to neutralize your acid and revive you in a way. So our body is, is really strictly monitored and and in the state of, of homeostasis to the best of our ability, we can get into a nutritional metabolic acidosis. Absolutely. We've seen it in clients with digestive issues and starvation in many different situations. You know, that argument doesn't hold grain. But really what I talk about in Keto Green 16 is that our different parts of our body have different pHs, right? The vaginal pH is acidic. Why? Because we don't want foreign organisms in there, right? So it needs to. But as we get older, it turns more alkaline. So hence, that's why we use Jolva and do the things that I tell you to, you know, us to do to keep that vaginal health healthy. Our stomach is naturally really acidic, which I make the point in my book is why we don't drink with our meals. So we don't dilute our digestive enzymes or we're going to not digest our food well. And our, you know, our urine pH is a vital sign. Our urine pH is a vital sign. I want to say that again. It is a vital sign. It is as important to monitor as our blood pressure, as our pulse, as our weight. What gets measured gets managed. And here's a way we can not just look at our micronutrient absorption and health of our electrolytes, especially magnesium and potassium, really important minerals. It is also an indicator of inflammation in our body. It's an indicator of cortisol and stress, 
effect on our body in our physiology and you know urine does tell us so much even we can look at urine for hormones right but at least looking at ph and ketones to know that we're getting into the state of a keto alkaline state which is just empowering and energizing and healthful we've seen amazing clinical improvements in in patients in short amounts of time following this regimen Yeah, one of the things I really love about your book is you do provide a very detailed list of whole foods mostly, but the different foods and whether they are more acidic or if they're more alkaline. I spoke with you prior, but that is per the the Prowl score, so like the potential renal acid load. And for listeners, I won't go on a tangent, but basically, you know, when you eat a food, the acidic effect that it has on the kidneys, it's like what you said, and it's like what's going on behind the scenes. Like people will say, oh, your blood pH doesn't change based on what you're eating. But if you're eating a really acidic forming diet, your body's having to do a lot of work and pull minerals in order to support that seemingly, quote, normal pH level. So it's like, yeah, things might look okay, but the amount of stress and the amount of acidity behind the surface could, you know, be actually pretty profound. And the fact that we see studies, you know, across the board showing that that correlates to what we see in the urine, I just think is, is so profound. Going into fasting a little bit. So you spoke about this idea that we could be in an alkaline fasted state and be really supportive of health. We get so many questions about fasting and female hormones and whether or not it's safe for fertility, whether or not it's stressful. So for example, we had a question from, I think it's Anyali. It's a really beautiful name. I don't know how you say it though. She said she'd been following the podcast for a while. She'd been doing modified fasting on and off for a few years, but she's skeptical about starting IF. She's a 49-year-old in the perimenopausal zone. She wants to know if one meal a day will help her menopausal symptoms and help get rid of belly fat. She's read that IF can affect the hormones and fertility in women. Is this true? And she wants to know, is there a specific calorie intake that needs to be followed? Also, Tegan has heard that fasting can shrink and affect our reproductive hormones and wants to know if it's safe. She's currently doing 16-8, sometimes 18-6, but she's nervous about continuing because of fertility. And that's just two questions, but we get a lot of questions about that. Is fasting safe for women? Is it going to affect fertility? How do you recommend that women safely approach intermittent fasting, especially if it's part of their daily lifestyle? These are great questions and it is really important. This is where I always tell clients is discern, is listen to what your body is telling you. Like, you know, for my clients, intermittent fasting, and I will tell you this in working with clients, intermittent fasting is essential to hormone balance. Right now, PCOS, what should they be doing? Women with polycystic ovary syndrome who technically can get more insulin resistant, designed for intermittent fasting, right? And no more snacking. And that is just part of my program. And so I tell clients, and I teach this in the book too, is there are certain indicators, certain lab markers you want to follow beyond doing our urine pH and ketones, which I think hopefully now everyone's checking and can really say, oh yeah, I'm in ketosis, I'm not in ketosis, because often people are, are fasting or doing ketogenic and they actually never check to see if they're in ketosis, which is a muscle we need to exercise and it's important to bump in and out of ketosis. So you got to test in order to manage it. And so... With that, with hormonal, I found that it absolutely, as we become more insulin sensitive and manage cortisol, our hormones improve. So intermittent fasting for the sake of intermittent fasting and then eating a six or eight hours of, you know, standard American 
drive through Well, hell no, that's not good for anyone. It doesn't matter, right? I mean, you're, good thing you're doing the intermittent fasting. At least you've got some benefits there, but there's a bigger picture to this, right? And this is verified in the research. And I know you guys have shared this, that in a study published in JAMA, Journal of American Medical Association in 2016, looked at women who had breast cancer. And what they saw is that women who had at least 13 hours between dinner and breakfast, so intermittent fasted for at least 13 hours, had a significantly reduced risk of recurrent breast cancer, as well as a significantly lower hemoglobin A1C, which is a marker of how well blood sugar is you know, maintained in our, in our body over the past two months. So that is huge findings. That is huge. Yeah. And that's so important to know because that's a vulnerable risk population. We can improve that. So decreased risk of recurrent breast cancer. How about not getting cancer, right? What can we do? We can intermittent fast, go keto green. So that makes a difference. And I have definitely seen women. Now, certainly part of this has been getting keto green, re-regulating your menstrual cycles again, getting into healthier, you know, healthier ovulation. I've had a 47-year-old who I worked with who was on her entering into her seventh cycle of in vitro fertilization. So her first six cycles had failed and she had her last three eggs. So she contacted me. She'd, I'd worked with me in the past, like a decade earlier. And she contacted me and I, you know, instructed her in keto green way. And this is, you know, I, I, I do want to take some credit. I can. I say God and, and wisdom and her good self-care made a difference. But on this seventh cycle with three of the, her final three embryo, she conceived twins and she delivered healthy twin boys that are now three years old. Isn't that great story? And she was also doing the fasting. Yeah, she was doing intermittent fasting, bone broth, keto green, and made her check her urine pH. And that was that was a difference. And she was doing acupuncture. And so those things, you know, made a difference for her. I mean, here at with her last three after six failed cycles. So and I have so many stories like this. So we can see enhanced fertility, but you have to test, not guess, and you have to nourish yourself in the best ways you can nourish yourself. And if not, that we're supplementing in a very holistic, healthy way too. That is so beautiful. And you spoke about, you know, listening to your body. So how can a woman, what should they be listening for as far as finding the correct or the appropriate intermittent fasting window for them. If a woman is seemingly seems to be thriving on on a one meal day or a really or a more shortened eating window, do you have any concerns with that? Do you think that there might be issues long term with you know a shortened eating window for females in particular? For example, Melissa wrote to us and she said that her question was about the effect of, for example, like a four twenty window in female hormones. She said that she'd read a lot of studies on men, but the, the common wisdom seemed to say to stick to eighteen six to quote protect your fertility and reproductive hormones. So, in your book, what do you recommend for women? for finding that intermittent fasting protocol. Should they have a longer eating window, a shorter eating window, especially during this, this time of the pandemic when we may be wanting to have longer eating windows to deal with stress like we talked about? So what do you think about that? I think, you know, again, it depends to be really specific with each individual, but with Keto Green 16, I push the 16-hour fasting. So Keto Green 16, 16-day 16 plan, 16-hour 
intermittent fasting, 16 key food types to make shopping easier. But plus, you know, I've really narrowed it down to help with hormone balance and everything else that we want to do. So I find the 16-8 works really well, but we work up to it. 13, 14, 15, 16, right? We work up to it and also discern. I really find for women, and again, I've worked with thousands of clients in my online groups that, you know, for the most part, when we break fast, like when we have, when we eat an earlier dinner by 6 or 7 p.m., break fast by 10 a.m., we feel healthier, more balanced, clear. But that is also my prejudice because that is what I have played all around. I also recommend, again, metabolic flexibility. I recommend feasting. I recommend recommend extended fasting. So play, I think, play around with it. Sundays are typically my one meal a day Sunday, right? And, you know, because that's just part of my, you know, my practice, my spiritual practice and my lifestyle practice. And I find that I can, I can commit to that. Although sometimes it's after a Saturday feasting, <laughs> which is okay too. So, and I'm curious what you two do. But I, I always let clients know is I, I give them a hormone symptom checklist, same paper I gave all my patients. It's a download bonus for my book buyers and it's in the hormone fix. So just follow a certain way for a week, two weeks and discern how do I feel with this? And, you know, or even a day or two, how do I feel? I usually say, give yourself three to five days on any specific plan before you make a judgment. But, you know, discern how do I feel best with this because my activity level is different than you know a 23 year old's activity level with no kids right I've got four kids at home and um, single mom with running businesses right so it's different with different people different activities levels and it can be so discerning what works best for each of us but that's typically what I found I really want to hear from you guys what do you do well, for me, this is interesting. I actually have some new data because I haven't tracked my eating window or my fast for years, really. You know, I've been fasting regularly since 2014. My son made me an app in 2016. I tracked it for a while, and then I, I stopped doing that. And it's really been years since I tracked. But just with the stress, I was wanting to open earlier, eat longer, and I'm like, hmm, maybe I should just pull that right back out <laughs> and see what I'm doing. And so I've been tracking my eating window for 17 days now. It's not very long, but I have found my average is right around four hours. So I, I tend to have a, a shorter eating window and it feels right to me. And just that the tracking of it, it's probably had been longer for a while before that, just when I wasn't really paying attention. But now that I'm tracking it, I'm more mindful of, all right, my window is closed. I'm not going to grab a handful of dates out of the cabinet and eat them just because I want them, you know. I didn't know you were tracking, Jen. <laughs> just out of curiosity, I started on March 29th. I started tracking, which is, was also my son's birthday. Maybe that's what inspired me since he made it for me. But I was like, you know, I just would like to pull this out just to see what I'm doing out of curiosity and also out of the feeling that the stress was causing me to have longer windows. And I didn't really know because I hadn't really been... I just, you know, was opening, closing. It was a little more random, a little more willy-nilly, I guess is a good way of putting it. So anyway, it's just interesting to see. Back when I used to track, back in 2016, my window was usually shorter. It was average of two to three hours. So it's a little longer now than it had been, but that makes sense because I'm, you know, solidly in maintenance and not trying to lose weight. 
I'm typically a two to three hour window pretty consistently. Actually, and Jen, something you just brought up that I I'm dying to ask you, Dr. Kabeca, you're talking about Jen being in maintenance and, you know, not losing weight. We get a lot of questions, Dr. Kabeca, about women who, this is kind of a two-part question, about women who, you know, have been doing intermittent fasting or made these changes and they lost weight and then they just plateau. And they, we get so many questions saying, I plateaued, I haven't changed anything, you know, what can I do? And so the two parts of the question is one, is it possible because of hormones or other factors or, you know, reaching your quote maintenance weight that you could be, you know, eating the exact same thing, doing the exact same fasting window and, you know, stop losing weight completely or even be gaining weight. And then the second part is, is it, if the body has reached, you know, apparently the quote set point or, or the weight that it's seemingly comfortable at, you know, like, is it possible to lower your set point in a healthy way hormonally? Or is that always going to be going against what your body quote naturally wants to be at? I think this is where, you know, like we talk about same thing with physical fitness, right? If we do the same thing every day, our, you know, we may see a plateau. So we have to change up our routines, do something different every day. And the same is true. It's like with, you know, intermittent fasting windows. If someone reaches a plateau, what can we switch up? Maybe we eat earlier and maybe we eat earlier in the evening, finish eating earlier because often we eat after seven. We know that there's a 30 to 70% increased risk a secretion of insulin for the same meal that was eaten earlier. So that creates more insulin resistant, more storage. So we can look at shifting things with our timing. We can look at extended fast. We can look at maybe you know, having a feast day if we've been low carb. And I think that's where it's really interesting because what's happening in the eating window, that's important to look at too. You know, in addition, we want to look at that as well. And then, of course, I'm going to tell you, check your pH and ketones. Are you getting alkaline? Is stress creating this? Is that is it maybe not about what you're eating, but maybe who you're eating with? <laughs> it could be stressing you out, right? That could affect us. And so looking at that, and for me in, in creating my Keto Green 16 and, and my recipes, I use a 24-7, 14-day continuous blood sugar monitoring system. And I write about this in Keto Green 16. So the meal plans that I create for this eating window that we have are low glycemic, are very low glycemic. And so hence, there's that keto green component. And so we see some really good stabilization improvements in hemoglobin A1C, the concept of increasing healthy cell and mitochondrial function that's built into this plan so that we're really maintaining. So we saw in a study that we did in menopausal women, average age of 61. So very few studies, first of all, on menopausal women and looking at diet plans, keto or otherwise, are typically, you know, males or athletes, you know, disciplined and compliant people versus me in the menopause and, and, and those like me. But we ran a group medical visit for patients in North Florida Integrative Medicine, Dr. Angeli Aki, Yield-Trained Internal Medicine. And we looked at they followed the meal plans and in 16 days, this group, average age 61.6 years old, lost an average of nine pounds, lost an average of nine pounds. And so that's huge for a menopausal woman. It may not seem like in, and in 16 days and their 
waist loss, their waist decreased an average of 1.2 inches. Now that's huge. That is huge for us, especially if we've been trying everything you know, under the best care, hormone management, name it, right? This integrative medical practice. Like what could we do to shift to improve that. And also, as a side note, we went virtual during the coronavirus pandemic. So what my clients said, what these clients said was that we were thankful for the distraction, thankful for having something positive to focus on. And we feel healthier than we've ever felt. And I feel better able to handle this situation that we're in, which is, I mean, that's huge. We also had a man do the 16 days with his wife. We had to throw out his data because as a 57-year-old man, he lost 30 pounds and has been able to be weaned off his blood pressure medicine is on a fraction of his prior dose of blood pressure medicine. So I think it's, it's too, it's like, okay, let me switch, switch it up a little bit, play with it. And, and how does that work? So there are many reasons. And that's why I tell clients, you know, with checking your pH, you can also see, is there something else going on? Is one of these foods you're eating during this window, is that a food sensitivity? I mean, I can eat I can be doing everything the same and I will eat a piece of cheese and I don't. But if I did or dairy got infused into my food somehow, I will be three pounds heavier the next day. I mean, without a doubt, I'll be three pounds heavier. We do hit these set plateaus. So that's where we have to think, okay, well, can I just shift up, do something different, change up my workout routine, change out my thoughts, change up my eating schedule, change up my you know, food choices. I mean, there's so many things that we need to look at to break those plateaus. I know I'm 53, right? I, I've dealt with this. I've had, you know, this, this has been my life's work. So it's kind of fun to do that Nancy Drew discovery process. <laughs> oh yeah. I love it too. Figuring out what works for you and what doesn't, that's just such a big, it's empowering to be able to figure that out. I love that you said that about, you know, experimenting and trying new things. Cause I think people so often, especially if they found an intermittent fasting protocol that was really effective for them, you know, made them lose a lot of weight. The idea of, you know, tweaking it can seem like, oh, I'll gain all the weight back when really in theory and what you're saying, it's actually quite likely that, you know, trying something new, moving things around a little bit, you might actually have the opposite effect, which is really, really incredible. Hi friends, we hope you're enjoying the show. So one of the things Dr. Kabeca talks about as majorly influencing our hormones is our stress levels. And do you know what is one of the most potent stimulators of stress and cortisol in our daily lives? That would be overexposure to blue light. You see, blue light is the type of light naturally found in daylight, which is awesome and amazing. The problem is we're kind of exposed to it all the time now. This keeps our brains overstimulated, turned on, anxious, and fatigued. Sort of like too much caffeine. Thankfully, you can wear blue light blocking glasses that will block blue light so you can calm your stress and anxiety. We are obsessed with blue blocks. They make every type of blue light blocking glasses you could ever need, depending on your situation. They've got clear computer glasses that you can wear throughout the day. They've got their summer glow yellow lens that actually let in the beneficial stimulating type of blue light while blocking out the harmful type that's linked to anxiety. And they're tinted with a yellow color that has been shown to boost mood. And of course, they've got their sleep plus lens. They're super red. You put them on before sleep and bam, you basically immediately fall asleep. I put them on every night and I will never not. Glasses also come in prescription. So if you wear glasses, no worries. Better yet, for every pair of Blue Blocks that you buy, Blue Blocks actually donates a pair of glasses to someone in need. And Blue Blocks has an amazing offer for our listeners. If you go to blueblocks.com and use the code IFPODCAST, you'll get 15% off your order. 
That's B-L-U-B-L-O-X dot com forward slash IF podcast with the coupon code IF podcast for 15% off your order. All right, now back to the show. Here's a fun question I thought we could end on because Jen and I don't really discuss this topic much on the podcast. We got a question from Stacy, and she said, Hi, Melanie and Jen. I discovered you ladies in March of 2018, and I went back and listened to every episode. And she's current, although she sent this in 2018. So this is Jen, an old question. She says, I don't think I've heard this specific question. And since y'all are the ultimate researchers, I'd love to know how IF affects sex. Specifically, how does it affect hormones related to sex, sex drive, and anything else? I'm just curious. I know weight loss has a positive impact on sex drive, but I would like a deeper dive on the topic. And I know, Dr. Rebecca, you you spoke a lot about oxytocin and a lot of those hormones as well. So I, I was wondering if you had any thoughts on that topic. Well, I definitely will tell you that this is great. The more insulin sensitive we become, the more we manage cortisol, the higher we can experience oxytocin as well as our other sex hormones. So this management of cortisol, management of insulin empowers our sex hormones, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, and DHEA. So what we've seen, like, and typically with my clients, I include, you know, supplements for adrenal support. So it's always been part of what helped me, my Mighty Maca Plus formula. But what we see is an improvement in DHEA, an improvement in progesterone, an improvement in sex drive. And in clients that have done my program virtually, you know, across the world have all said, many have said a increase in sex drive and an improvement, an improvement in the relationship that they're having with their significant other as well. I hear that so often. In fact, one client who wrote me, she said, Dr. Anna, I have to tell you that in just, you know, three weeks of following your programs, what I noticed is not only do I love and enjoy being around my family more, I used to just come home and, and slip on the couch and watch TV and go to work the next day. But now I'm, I'm you know, alive again, participating. I've even been out riding my horse that I haven't rode in two years and I was about to sell. And she goes, but not only am I experiencing this, my family loves me more too. <laughs> And I love that. I love that. That's what we're here for. That's what we're here for. And that's a lo- creating loving community is, is, you know, what we're here for. And one more thing, Dr. Kabeca, I know I said that was my last question, but I do have one more question that it haunts me. And I know I asked you it recently on the Melanie Avalon biohacking podcast as well. But so we just had, you know, this whole discussion about, you know, the beauty and the health benefits of returning to natural eating patterns, doing intermittent fasting, doing a keto green approach. Given all of that, is there a role for supplementing with hormones, especially things like progesterone? Is that doing anything negative with our natural production of these hormones? Is there a time and place for supplementing with something like progesterone? What are your feelings for women who may be on supplemental hormones or, you know, are there women who could benefit from that? How do you feel about that? Well, I'm definitely using bioidentical hormones now for sure. And I've used them and, and prescribed them. And the only form of hormones we should use are bioidentical. But those are, those comes, we bring in exogenous hormones, prescription hormones or topical hormones as a addition to a healthy regimen, right? To, for me, it's the keto green lifestyle. And for starters, like working on improving our stress and our adrenals. So for my typical regimen is I'll bring a client in, have them detox, right? So keto green detox, clean up their hormones, you know, get rid of chemicals in their 
cosmetics and foods, et cetera. And then support with adrenal support, such as Mighty Maca Plus, and then add bioidentical hormones. And I typically start with progesterone and DHEA and, you know, often my product Jolva, which is the DHEA cream for the vulva, essentially with other key ingredients, but like that can help also to reduce the symptoms of aging. But progesterone specifically right now may be a a temporary need in the premenopausal time period because of the, you know, effect of cortisol. But often if we are in a high stress state and we use progesterone and we're just pumping out tons of cortisol versus in the, you know, cortisol, you know, a hypofunction state, what we'll see is a stimulatory action. So we need to watch that and make sure that, you know, we're really balancing our physiology. So, but topical progesterone and pregnenolone in the perimenopause and postmenopause is often necessary, definitely in postmenopause, but often in the perimenopause as well, it is is beneficial and a little bit goes a long way. We don't want to suppress our body's natural production. We want to support. And I'll say if we were living out in the Amazon eating, you know, fresh from what we pick that day and hunt that morning and, you know, those things and living under the sun and in the energy of the earth, that's hugely healing, right? We may not need any bioidentical hormone support. However, in this current situation, we probably need it more now than ever. So great question. And I do, I'm a big proponent, especially for neuroprotection because progesterone for women is predominantly produced by the ovaries. And as our ovarian function declines with age, the adrenals pick up. And in times of stress, like everything I said is going to cortisol. So we're really sacrificed. And then in the postmenopausal time period, the same is true. So supporting progesterone, I have found necessary. I've had clients in their 80s on progesterone. Okay. That is, that's really good to hear because that question has it haunts me for quite a while because I, it's like, I want to be, you know, completely natural and have, you know, the body completely produce hormones on its own. But it, it sounds like there is a therapeutic role that we can support our body with proper hormone supplementation, especially something like progesterone. So that is wonderful to hear. I've, I'm sorry, one really, really quick last question. You touched on something that's like really passionate in my heart. You talked about the potential hormonal disruptions from our cosmetics. I mean, this is like so huge to me, our skincare, because I think people think it's like not really a big deal. Like, you know, how many toxins or chemicals can it be, you know, putting on some makeup or using this face wash? Do you think that is a problem today? I think it's huge. It is a huge problem. And hence the increase in thyroid disease, thyroid nodules, it's not just from contaminated food sources, right? If we're putting chemicals on our face right there where our thyroid gland is and and parathyroid gland is, surely that's affecting them. And beyond that, it's hugely disruptive. Plus, many of these chemicals pass on through our umbilical cord blood to kids. Now, I'm post-reproductive, so sometimes I'm like, let me choose my toxins with my Christian Dior red lipstick. But I've actually switched now from my Christian Dior red to a natural red. So I am, you know, a big proponent on that no matter how old we are, but especially in reproductive age groups, especially. And I do think cancers, inflammation, and maybe that part of that, you know, toxic burden that our body is having to deal with, it 100% affects our hormones. Yeah. I just, I think it's so huge. There's literally like two things we put in or on our body, food, and then as far as like going into our bloodstream, it's our cosmetics and our skincare. So I just think the hormonal implications of the endocrine disruptors, I just, 
can't even fathom. And I think most women don't realize. But thank you. Thank you so much for your time. This has been absolutely wonderful. Is there anything else you'd like to put out there to listeners that we didn't touch on? Any final thoughts? I just say no matter what you're dealing with, the circumstances we're in, we can experience this peace and we can be more resilient, not just as an individual, but as a society, a community, a nation, a humanity, that we owe it to ourselves and are responsible to ourselves and those around us to create a health within us, both physically, emotionally, relationally, and and spiritually. And and to do this, we start with loving well, loving ourselves well, and loving, lovingly taking care of ourselves and those around us. And it does start with this process. And it's more important now than ever in our history. And I would just share that I just love you, Jen. I love you, Melanie. And I thank you for having me on and all the work you do. I know this; these podcasts are works of love and, and a lot of work. And I praise you for it, congratulate you. And I'm so appreciative because I love listening to you guys. Thank you. Well, thank you. We love having you on and we love talking to you. Thank you. I'm, I'm so grateful for your work. Your, your books are beautiful. The information you're putting out there is life-changing. You've had a personal huge effect on my life with, I've used your your supplementations. I, I, I tell you this every time, but my sister is just so obsessed. I got her completely hooked. So thank you for everything that you're doing, your mindset, your approach, and what you're doing for all of humanity, but especially I think us women. So we really, really appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember that everything discussed on the show is not medical advice. We're not doctors. You can also check out our other podcasts, Intermittent Fasting Stories and the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.